Welcome to the We Earn Media Show, where each episode we chat with a media professional, like an editor or journalist, and we discuss what makes a great and not so great PR journalist relationship. With me is my co-host, Jackie Lambert, and for today's show, we have Noah Manskar, who is a business reporter for the New York Post. But I know Noah from when he was at Patch, where he covered news that was local to New York City. Now, without further ado, on to our chat with Noah. This is the first time that we've ever recorded for our podcast officially. So surprise. Yeah. So thank you so much. Again. That's great. Same same here. So we're going through it together. Oh Yay. good. How did you guys conceive of the idea for this? You know, where where did it come from? Well, Noah, to be honest, I have a lot of I as much as I love doing PR. I have a lot of trouble with it because I think as somebody who suffers heavily from imposter syndrome, as I know a lot of people, not just in the PR space, but also on the journalism side experience, it can get kind of depressing pitching people and not always getting a response. So uh, one of my contacts over at Lifehacker, her and I were talking and we had just finished up on a story and I basically told her, I kind of just opened up to her because that's kind of my approach with journalists. I found if I'm transparent, even if, I don't know, some people might not appreciate my style, but for the most part, I think it's worked out in my favor. Um, Mm -hmm. I basically opened up about my um, imposter syndrome to her and she gave me a very thoughtful response about her imposter syndrome. And it kind of opened up this whole idea that we're kind of not alone in this and that really thought about like the whole culture in the relationship that journalists and PR people have together, I kind of have this dream of creating like a safe place where PR people can get the support they need. So that's this is kind of a small puzzle piece of a larger thing. But um, when I was telling Brittany about the conversation we had, Britt was like, oh, my God, like we could totally talk to journalists and make it like a real thing and like have real conversations and make a podcast. And I'm the type of person that will have a million ideas and never implement any of them. But Brit's like a go-getter. So I think we're kind of a good team. In that <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and dive into the talking points that we've uh, kind of set aside and um, get started. Tell us about your current role at New York Post. And if you can give us a brief summary of your career as a journalist. Sure. So I, I'm still pretty new to the post. I started about two and a half months ago. Um, so I, I jumped over to um, business journalism, a general assignment reporter on the business desk there, which was, was kind of a big change for me coming from a background in like local news, general interests, you know, lo- local news uh, with kind of a concentration on like politics and government. That was kind of what I'm most interested in and what I covered a lot in my my previous jobs but it's been fun you know i cover all manner of things on a day-to-day basis today i wrote about uh jewel the e-cigarette company the the guy carlos Ghosn, uh who's the former nissan ceo who like you know escaped to japan uh or escaped from japan rather because he's you know they the authorities there want to try him for financial crime so it's like all this you know a, a pretty wide variety of stuff and it's a pretty fast pace i write like three to five stories a day um which is kind of similar to what i was doing at patch i was a kind of similar like general assignment reporter for new york city uh I, I was kind of an odd duck at patch because most reporters there have a like a hyper local beat a geographic beat that they cover had a reporter covering like north and central Brooklyn um, and another covering like West Brooklyn, one covering 
covering upper Manhattan, one covering lower Manhattan, but I, I covered the uh, citywide issues, citywide stories that were broadly relevant to all of our readers um, across the different hyperlocal sites. So I got to cover like City Hall and the MTA and politics and elections and all sorts of stuff, as well as write feature stories and other kind of, you know, fun stuff, uh, like the Geotab stories that we worked on. And before I was at Patch, I was there for about two years. And before that, um, I worked for another two years at a small chain of weekly community newspapers in Nassau County out of Long Island. Uh, it's called Blank Slate Media. And that was a really great place to learn and get started in journalism because it was a, a really small environment and um, it was a lot of on the ground reporting, a lot of going to school board meetings and village board meetings and talking with people who lived in their, their towns, their village, their community for a long, long time and wrote again, like a really wide variety of stories uh, covering education, local business, religion, as well as politics and government, which is what I um, focus really intensely on. So that's uh, a summary of <laughs> how we got here today. <laughs> that's actually really interesting. And especially as your career has evolved from local media into more of a national scene. And Jackie and I were actually right before the call talking about how frequently you publish stories every day. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I do want us to talk about that later on. I think it's really, from our perspective, it's fascinating. And honestly, I'm always amazed by how much people, how many stories you're able to publish. I think that's something that we'll want to talk about later, um, for mm -hmm. sure. So I'm happy you brought that up. I I want to talk a little more about the story you sent along. So can you summarize the story that you shared previously that you wanted to discuss? Yes. Um, so this was a story I wrote um, a little over two years ago, kind of early in my time at Patch. So we had received... Uh, I think my editor actually got the pitch originally, but he got this pitch from New York Presbyterian, the, you know, which is a major hospital system in the New York area. And it was a really kind of compelling story uh, about this really friendly, kind uh, gentleman named Peter McKay, who has a, a daughter named Darcy. And um, when Darcy was really, really little, not long after she was born, uh, she um, was diagnosed with this, uh, I think, relatively rare um, liver condition that, that was life-threatening. Um, and was very scary for Peter and his husband. But it turned out that Peter was a match to give her a liver donation to, to get for a transplant. Uh, and that essentially saved her life. And they formed this um, really special uh, connection. So Darcy was born to a surrogate um, and was adopted by Peter and his husband, Chris. And I think this was just a really, even though it was like really trying and difficult for the family, I think it brought Peter and Darcy together in a Really unique way and it was it was really a pleasure to um, be able to share that story because um, I think it, it was really beautiful and and has a lot to say about uh, family and, and the bonds that we form with each other it originated from uh, a pitch that I got from Mallory Isaacs, who's in the communications office at New York Presbyterian. And we worked on a handful of other stories after this. But I, what I what struck me about the pitch was how thorough and detailed it was. Um, it was pretty like lengthy. It was, a, it was a longer 
on the longer side of the pitches that I usually get. But it, you know, it was they had almost written the story for for me, uh, which I may be a little ashamed to say. Uh, but no, don't you know, be. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think maybe they had prepared it for. It seems almost like they had prepared it for publication on like a blog or something in case they didn't land. You know. Um, a story with with an outside outlet but it it was you know all the pieces were there she she offered to connect me both with peter uh, for an interview as well as the doctor who had worked with them or either a doctor who had worked with, i think this doctor was was a specialist in liver conditions and in transplantation in particular so you know she connected me with this outside expert which was great for them to get you know one of their doctors on in the story and you know peter and darcy were treated at, at a new york presbyterian hospital so that was you know their connection to it as well and it, it it was very detailed, but also left you know room for me obviously to kind of find my own angle and and own way of telling the story. And um, Mallory was really responsive and really helpful, and you know very excited about you know getting this out there, and, and just a real pleasure to work with. As what you know everyone else. Did. New York Presbyterian is, is too. Um, I worked with them in a lot of stories when I was at Patch. So yeah, the, that's kind of the genesis of it. And I think it was a, a really good example of a, a pitch that like you could tell some work went into developing this pitch and, and went into showing exactly how compelling the story was and why it was you know a good one for a reporter, for a journalist to, to write on their own. And that's super interesting about the fact that it was a really long pitch because prescriptive advice or however you want to call it regular like basically we're always told three paragraphs no more than that any longer and you know the journalist is going to lose interest but it sounds like that could be potentially a myth depending on what the element of the pitch is and yeah i think if if i remember right and i i haven't looked at the pit it, it was a while ago and i don't have uh <laughs> in an email account that I no longer have access to. Fair enough. Um, I, I could, that's but, fine. <laughs> but what I, what I remember how Mallory would generally pitch me, um, and I think this was true with this one as well, is, you know, she, she had this whole very well-prepared, very thorough account of the story. But above that, she just wrote an introductory line of like, you know, I have a really compelling story that's coming out of this hospital about a father and daughter and their experience with a liver transplant. We think it would be a great fit, you know, read, read the below and let me know if there's any interest. So, so it was kind of a combination of like, she made, made, you know, a pretty brief overture and then, you know, gave me or gave us more details that we could, could see immediately if it, mm -hmm. if the, the concept of the story got our attention. And that's something that I value a lot. I, you know, I get the idea of sending a short, pitch and keeping it brief but I get kind of annoyed when somebody pitches me on like something that it seems like a meaty issue or mm -hmm. a complex issue that that has a lot of a lot more to it without yeah. you know linking to other materials or like attaching you know a press release with more information or like a, you know a backgrounder on the a company or on mm -hmm. whatever it is I like to have some sort of supplement that mm -hmm. as when I'm reading through the, those emails that's interesting especially because I kind of experiment with both of those things sometimes I'll include my initial email will just include a brief summary of whatever it is that I'm pitching 
And then if they, they would like more info, I let them know to email me back and I'll send along what, what else they'll need. Other times I kind of just do as Mallory's done where I'll include a summary, but then beneath that I'll include either a press release or any other supplementary info that would be helpful. And I haven't personally noticed much of a difference between those two tactics, but I do feel like it at least saves time because yeah, sometimes a reporter will say, yeah, send along more info and it's maybe just not a good fit. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it saves a step, you know, it saves, saves the reporter the, the, you know, effort of having to send one more email and receive mm-hmm. one more email to, to get, you know, what it, what's often some pretty basic, you know, kind of essential info. Noah, I'm super curious, would it have made a difference, say, for example, the hospital had published this story on their blog, or maybe in a newsletter or something, would that have made a difference to you as to whether or not you you would have decided to cover it? Uh, yeah, definitely. At the time, I don't know if it would have, because I, I was sort of assigned this story and it was passed on to me. But kind of looking back, I think I would, uh, if I were to get the same pitch now and we're in the same position and we're, we're going to possibly write the same story, I think I would be less likely to do it if it had been already published on their blog, mm-hmm. because then, you know, it's already out there. Um, mm-hmm. And and we're just kind of repackaging, it, or at least it it could appear that way that that we're just repackaging, you know, something that New York Presbyterian has already done the work of put, putting out there, and also that you know anyone could have uh, seen the blog post and written something off of it in the time that I took to report this story and write it and edit it, which took I think a couple of weeks. I don't think it would have necessarily affected my decision back then. But yeah, in retrospect, I think if you have a story like that and you're trying to place it, then I think it's almost kind of counterproductive to put it out through your own channels while also, you know, trying to get a journalist to to write a story that's already been written and published. Uh Got it. Jackie, you had a question around the data that was in the story itself, I think. And I didn't want to gloss over that if you wanted to bring it up. Oh, yeah. It's a hybrid question compliment. I thought it was a really nice opportunity to highlight a bigger issue in the New York area. Um, One of the stats was one New Yorker uh, waiting for an organ transplant dies every 18 hours. Um, So I thought having that local angle showing actual local people that were potentially going to be affected by this issue, you know, and high, you know, um, driving awareness to a larger issue. Did you think about that when you were writing the story about how it was more than just the local story? I think that may have been a component of Mallory's initial pitch. I think it may have been, yeah, yeah, it may have been like organ donation awareness month or something like that when she, when she pitched to me. So I think that was mentioned in the pitch. So that kind of triggered my thinking about putting it in the context of this larger organ donation issue because they had they had raised it and I think brought it to my attention because I don't think it would have been something that I was aware of. But yeah, then I did some kind of Googling around and found that, you know, New York actually is one of the worst states to be waiting for an organ transplant. There are a lot of people who need them and very few people who put their names on the registry to be donors. It kind of added this other dimension to the story of how fortunate um, Mm -hmm. Peter and Darcy were that they Mm -hmm. they were matches um, to have this procedure and that they didn't have to wait a really long time potentially to find a donor. 
Do you have any more questions about that story, Britt? Or should we move on to some questions we have around um, New York Post? Yeah, no, I think it's a good time to move on. I think that was all really good background and also gives us some really neat insight onto how you like to receive pitches and what should be in them. So that was all perfect. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So now that you're at New York Post writing about business, what kind of stories now pique your interest in relation to pitches, I guess? Like, do you do you rely on PR pitches to report on things or are you basically given your assignments? So my my position in particular is more driven by breaking news. So I write a lot of spot news, like things that are happening immediately. So that's more driven by like releases and like company announcements or like things that the government is saying or, you know, what the stock market's doing. I think my work now is less reliant on pitches than it was at Patch when I was at Patch because it's so it's so much driven by like what's happening in the news what what's news rather than you know I'm I'm not doing as many like trend stories or like Mm -hmm. featurey type things. That being said, so there's a couple pieces that are valuable. One is like it I always appreciate when representatives of experts like you know academics or um, people in certain industries who can provide like commentary or analysis on things when those those kinds of comments or like emails offering people as sources those mm-hmm. i always even if i don't respond to them like i appreciate having them um just in case i do need um that kind of comment or that kind of source for a breaking news story that i'm writing if i need some kind of external uh insight on a breaking news event um those are really helpful to have sure related to that because I wonder this because I represent a lawyer. They're one of my clients and I do mm-hmm. those common kind of commentary pitches. I don't always hear back, but I have gotten word that like, oh, thanks. I'll file them away for future stories. Do you have like a spreadsheet or something that you keep these experts um, on hand? Or do you kind of just go off of whoever is pitching you around the time that you're reporting on a story? I don't have a spreadsheet. I probably should have one. <laughs> uh, nice. <laughs> yes, I probably should have one. Thank you for that. Um, oh, yeah, no problem. I'm full of great tips. No, yes. <laughs> this podcast uh, is for us I, to help you. So that's Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I don't have a spreadsheet, but but I think as I read those emails, like I, it often happens, um, like my memory will be jogged mm-hmm. when like I'm working on a story in the future and I'll, I'll kind of remember, oh, I got an email from an expert who might be able to help with this. I think it's especially, it sticks in my mind, especially like when I also have a, a pre-existing relationship with a PR person who represents, you know, those kinds of clients. Um, like I was just emailing today with someone who is pitching me, you know, a, one of their clients as sort of an expert source who I didn't end, end, actually end up using, uh, Will, that I told her, you know, exactly what you said, that like, oh, this is great to know and I will keep her in mind in the future. So it's kind of like, yeah, even it, I'm not as organized as maybe I should be. Uh, no, no, don't worry about it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's they, they definitely kind of stick in my mind and I do remember the ones that, that could be useful. And then the other sort of PR aspect, I think, of what I'm doing now is, the exclusive story, which is like very highly valued at the post, especially on the business desk. Um, there's a big emphasis on reporting stories that, you know, our readers will not find anywhere else. And I think that's valuable. Like my personal outlook on that is that 
that is valuable for for us. It's valuable for the readers and it's valuable for you know the post as a business because those eyeballs aren't going to see that story in, in any other place. So if a, a PR person has a set of data or, you know, obviously the ideal of this is like some some company news, some some mm-hmm. news that they're going to announce that they're going to give to us first, like that's great. But also, you know, if there's some a, a report that's coming out that we get exclusive access to or um, a set of data or or something like that, that we can have exclusivity on like that, we really value. There's I haven't had a ton of those, but there's there's been at least one from I think a month or so ago that I got to work on that actually came from uh, the city controller's office, which was pretty cool and um, a lot of fun to, to work on. The exclusive pitches are great. Even if we turn them down, like we love to see them and get them and like have the option of, of doing those stories. I'm so glad you brought that up because the term exclusive, from my experience, means so many different things to Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad yeah. that you brought this up, Brian. I'm like, oh God, this is, we have to ask this. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know that uh, different outlets have different guidelines and rules that they abide by when it comes to exclusives. In your definition, how would you describe an exclusive as far as, um, I think you you did mention that means New York Post would be the first to publish the story. But are there any other things that you kind of measure that exclusivity by? So my personal thoughts on this is that exclusive means like it implies some sort of agreement between the person making the news or providing the news or the material that's being used in the story um, and the reporter that the person providing it will not share it with anyone else mm-hmm. or tell tell any other outlet or any other journalist about this story and kind of you know guarantee that there is sort of a, a wall around the story that that the post is doing. It implies an agreement that this is being given to us, you know, only us or given to us first before anyone else. That's kind of my personal outlook, I think. Then there's kind of a gray area where, you know, but but another thing that the post calls exclusive is stories that, you know, may be out, for example, that may be out in um, publicly available documents, but that someone has to really dig and take some initiative and do a lot of legwork to find these stories. And also, you know, maybe do additional reporting and get exclusive details that no one else has. So an example of that would be back in December, I believe, uh, I had a story about, um, there's this restaurant called the Polo Bar that is like a a route connected with Ralph Lauren. And it's attached to what used to be the, the Ralph Lauren store um, I think on Fifth Avenue, and it's this, you know, it's a big celebrity haunt. Like, like Meghan Markle is, is gone there, and Hillary Clinton, all manner of of famous people. It, I don't know if you guys are familiar with warn notices, but these is, they're essentially layoff notices that get filed with the state labor department. And uh, so we, I found one that had been posted online that very strongly implied that this restaurant was going to close, um, which turned out not to be the case. But I, you know, I, it turned out they were, they were, you know, they work with a a third party company to operate the restaurant and they were changing the operator of the restaurant. They were getting a new operator, which was still a story. I wrote a little item on it because this is, you know, a full, 
the polo bar is it's a fun place it's got all this you know it's like town and country decor and it's ralph Lauren and it's celebrities and um yeah so that was a public filing like anyone could have seen that on the state's website but i you know i was the first to really notice it and jump on it and suss out exactly what was going on so my editors then made the decision to label that an exclusive because uh, okay. nobody else had nobody else had written it up and i had gotten information that nobody else had gotten and we were the first of the story so that's kind of another definition that's interesting yeah i've i've never heard of it framed that way, but that's really good to know. I, I just have one more question related to pitching, I guess, exclusives. When PRs, when you get an email that's framed as an exclusive, does it generally give you a timeline, like please respond by X date if you're interested in running this story? And if so, how often do you like to be followed up with? So on the first question, question that is frequently the case um okay that you know they they have at least a desired timeline of like we're planning to put this release out on x day at this time but i've i've found in my recent experience that can kind of be flexible that pr the pr people i've worked with recently have been you know very amenable and like understanding if you know i need to push back a day um, then they're mm -hmm. it's it's usually they usually agree to push back the the release of their their information their press release or their report or whatever it is so i think that that you know there's often a, a timeline implied sometimes there's not but mm -hmm. I think it's also when there is a timeline implied, it can be flexible. And in terms of follow-up, I think, especially with an exclusive, like if something is tagged exclusive, like or labeled exclusive in my inbox, like I'm gonna look at it almost right away. You know, it was a really easy way to get my attention. You know, and and if I like it, if I wanna do the story, then I will respond pretty promptly as well. And if I don't, then most of the time I will just not not reply. Sometimes I'll say thanks, but no thanks. But most of the time I just won't reply. So but generally with follow-up, whether, whether it's an exclusive or not, I appreciate one follow-up. Most of the time, if I'm interested in a story, I'm pretty prompt about responding. If I'm not, then I just don't. So one follow-up is is fine to kind of bump it up and get me to, to reevaluate it. But I do think beyond that, it is kind of redundant in my view just just me personally like i i if i don't respond especially after two emails if i don't respond then it's just it's it it definitely is not mm -hmm. gonna happen um <laughs> yeah yeah like <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's just, which isn't to say that it's not a good story. It's just not a good story for me. Yeah. I'm not the right reporter to, to do it. I have a question. Well, have you ever ghosted anyone? I'm only asking because I've been ghosted in the past and I'm always wondering, like, <laughs> I wonder what happened. Yeah. Um, I, tr I really no try not to do that. Okay. I, I really, I don't think I have ghosted anyone in the sense that I've said, oh, I'm going to do this story and then ended up not doing it. Like maybe oh. once or twice that's happened. I often will say, thanks, I'll take a, I'll take a look at this and, you know, give it some thought and consider whether I can make a story out of it or, or think about whether I'm going to do the story. Mm -hmm. And sometimes admittedly, I don't, I don't ever get back to them. If I go through the effort of, I think just to be conservatively 98% of the time, if I say that I'm going to do a story that I'm pitched, um, then I do follow through with it. And Unless, you know, maybe that the editor decides that they they end up not wanting to do it or some some something else very unusual happens the vast majority of the time I, I do. That's a good through. track record. Um, <laughs> do you ever like check your spam folder? Because I've always wondered that too. Like, 
if I've hit a spam folder. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't really check it that often. Okay. Um, I'm not trying to which, guilt you this whole interview, but yeah, <laughs> throwing it out there. I, got, I, I give you a couple of good ideas. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's a good. <laughs> I'm like, these are just things I always wonder. Like, <laughs> no, you could be because I, you know, I have checked it and I've seen emails that like really shouldn't be spam that right. you know are like legitimate pitches that have gone there for some reason my worst nightmare <laughs> yeah no it, it could be happening from time to time but then you know it's there also like some stuff gets sent to spam and then another email from the same person will come through to my inbox uh, you know, later on. So it's, you know, who knows how it all works. <laughs> yeah, big mystery of the internet. Yeah. You mentioned having, for example, a good or having had a good relationship with Mallory, the lady that pitched you the story around the organ donation. What kind of qualified that or made that in your mind a good relationship? Well, I think one piece was like, you know, that that story, I think, just turned out so well. I think I was very happy with the writing that I did. I, I got to work with a really great editor um, on that story, too. So that that, it, that made it a good experience. And I remembered her and remembered um, the story. But uh, she also later on invited me into New York Presbyterian to meet, you know, the rest of their PR team. So I got to to know the rest of them and like what all their particular concentrations were uh, within the office. Oh. And we talked, you know, probably talked for like an hour um, just about, you know, what I told them about what Patch was because at, at that time we were trying to kind of raise awareness of Patch and make sure, you know, more people knew about us. And they also told me about, you know, different different projects they were working on or things that were coming up. So that kind of expanded the, the network of contacts that I had there. And then you know, I worked on, you know, at least at least half a dozen stories that came out of New York Presbyterian, um, all really strong future stories that, that they pitched and I, you know, kind of did some more work on. And that was great. I think uh, you had mentioned before in your, your note, Britt, about, um, you know, in, in-person meetings. And I think those are really important. Mm -hmm. Reporters really value, like, getting to talk to people face-to-face. -face. I think there's something about going to get coffee and not really having, like, particular parameters of a conversation where you, you can just kind of talk about all manner of different things and kind of get to know people personally as well. I think that last aspect in particular is important to, to building relationships. And also just, just kind of having space to be like, this is what my job is like in general and this is mm -hmm. what I specialize in and this is what you know the kind of work that I do this is the kind of work that I want to do getting to have that that mutual understanding I think helps helps reporters know you know how the PR person might be able to help them and mm -hmm. also helps the I think helps the PR person understand like you know how what what stories to to pitch the reporter or you know what what sorts of things they should reach out with I think that that can be good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those things are, are hard to do over email or even on the phone. Yeah, I agree. I was actually thinking about maybe just making a little trip up to New York and um, scheduling out meetings with like reporters that I've worked with regularly. Noah, like, are you more apt to meet up with somebody obviously that you've worked with in the past or do you welcome cold emails from rando PR people who are like, hey, let's meet up? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do you take uh, 
is, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think I would respond to such an email. But I figured. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, you know, not that I don't appreciate the, uh, the outreach, but um, yeah, it helps to have some sort of pre-existing relationship because, yeah, rapport, because if, there, there are probably some PR people that like, you know, in the job that I'm in now, I would never call first. I would never work with a story on. So it, it wouldn't really make sense for that, for either of us to have an in-person meeting. Like if they, if they're working with clients that are in a space that I wouldn't remotely be covering as a business journalist, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. So I think, yeah, I, for me to get to an in-person meeting, I think I, I would want to have some pre-existing you know connection even if it's just like one story and you know it could be like one little thing even if they just connected me with like i was talking about before like an expert source that i got one quote from um you know even that would be kind of a you know a bridge to a relationship right yeah makes sense Mm -hmm. well that was interesting uh and good to know because sometimes i feel like kind of an uh, um not a weirdo but just also i'm super introverted so just (laughs) i'm not a weirdo like (laughs) just the like thought of asking somebody even if I've had email communication with them is terrifying so it's personally really nice to know that that that's a thing and that reporters like you Noah are open to that and actually like find it beneficial mm-hmm. yeah definitely my other question kind of shifting gears a bit again goes back to emailing and and all that jazz is there like a right time do you think for someone to email you uh during the day whether it's in the morning or in the evening or are you more of just the type of person who's constantly keeping a pulse on your inbox um i personally look at it pretty constantly um it's almost always like up on my Mm -hmm. screen you know it's like the the tab that I always have open I don't know I think I think it's really hard to pin down a certain time that's best especially for reporters because every day can vary in how the news breaks and like like I could be really busy at one time of it, like in the morning one day and then be like really slow in the afternoon and then the next day like the morning could be really quiet and then like the afternoon gets really crazy you know maybe there's some sort of science to like you know emails sent at this time get a better open rate that emails sent at that time mm-hmm. but I, I don't know I don't really have any idea of what that could be for me <laughs> that's my theory um, my theory the whole time so thank you yeah. for validating <laughs> yeah I mean uh, probably you know with people in other industries like there probably is an ideal time because there's more of a rhythm to those days but it's just in the news business that is so different every day mm-hmm. that it's really really hard to judge I always too wondered if because I mean you're constantly under deadline right you're publishing a lot each day and if I had that many deadlines to you know meet every day I I think that I wouldn't be able to keep an eye on my inbox and that's where I'm I tend to like maybe agree or can see why there's theories that people should or reporters or PR people should email reporters early in the morning or later in the day but at the same time I just don't agree with it being like the bible so it is a constantly (laughs) debated topic yeah, I can imagine. I just think it's a waste of time, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about it too much if, cool. if I were, cool. were in PR. Yeah. 
Jackie, is there any other, are there any other kind of like housekeeping questions that you wanted to bring up? Well, we covered in-person meetings. I mean, all my burning questions were answered. So if you okay. want to continue with your next question, I'm good with that. I think it's the final question. It is my last question. And that's really a question for you, Noah. Well, I guess it's not a question really at all. It's more of like, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us that maybe we didn't talk about that you think is important for PR people to know or understand about your day-to-day um, and how to have a good relationship and start building those relationships with you and other reporters? I think we covered a lot of ground. I guess the, the last thing I would just say is that I think there are a lot of people like me who write a lot of stories on a daily basis and work at a pretty frenetic pace all the time. I think that makes it kind of easy to get sidetracked. So I know it's it's hard and like journalists are often really, really impatient people. I think patience can be mutually beneficial both mm-hmm. to journalists and to mm. PR folks. Because like if, if there is a reporter might be totally intent on responding to your pitch, but you know, a million other other things come up during the day and they just didn't get to it. Uh, you know, maybe they, this has happened to me this week, like having to push back a phone call um, or something like that because, you know, news is breaking and there yeah. just isn't time. So that's just just the thing that, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks are cognizant of already, but I think especially in an environment like a, a media environment that where, where quantity is really important and people are being asked to do a lot. Um, on a daily basis. Uh, that's just, you know, something to keep in mind. Yes, I love that so yeah, much. Patience is a virtue. And yes, I love that. Yes, <laughs> that's a good and one. I, <laughs> I think that's really, I agree. It's so important just to remember that the person on the other line or the person on the other end of that email is a human being. And right. especially in this PR industry, there's so many kind of like templated approaches to doing it. And I mm. I think that's one of the biggest things that we can lose sight of as a PR person is that human factor and mm-hmm. remembering that, you know, a little bit of patience and a little bit of personality and understanding can go a really long way when it comes to working together. Thank you for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah, thank of you. course. Yeah, definitely. Well, that I think ends it. And yeah, again, Noah, thank you so thank much. You. This has been a blast, and I will admit I was super nervous to have this Oh, my this God. Chat. Me too. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> now I'm, like, really excited about where this could go. and Yeah, thank you both for thinking of me. I, I think it's a, a cool idea, and I'm, I'm glad you, you found it helpful, and I, I appreciate it very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram. 